the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I can tell the rain has kept us away. I have to fight the urge not to be incredibly disappointed in those who are not here and celebrate those who are here. No, it's the weather. It always gets me. It gets us all down, but we needed some rain, so I give thanks for the rain. We were dry. I don't know how many of you know a farmer uh, around here, but the farmers were desperate, desperate for rain, particularly cattle farmers who they were, you should see some of the cows around here and what they're eating. It's pathetic because they just need some grass, but in order to get the grass, they need some rain. Uh, you know it's a, new, it's a year when they roll up the corn stalks into hay. That means you're really down on your luck and you need, you need a change. So we're thankful for the rain that may have kept some of our brothers and sisters away. It's good for the earth. Well, speaking of water, I was reading in this Isaiah passage, and we're doing baptisms again. So it's all about water today. I was thinking about the Isaiah reading, and yes, this microphone's getting the best of me today, so y'all just have to bear with me uh, as it falls off my ear constantly again. I was reading that reading from Isaiah, and it reminded me of a story that I think comes from Sufi Islam about the mighty river that comes out of the mountain, and when it reaches the desert, it stops. It wants to go through, but it constantly hits the heat of the desert and evaporates, and it doesn't know what to do. And it doesn't want to stop being a mighty river, but it, it doesn't know where to go. And it doesn't want to transform because to transform means it's going to change and it, it doesn't perceive itself to be this mighty river anymore. So the wind talks to the river and it says, River, you, if you will just trust and evaporate and trust me, I will take you to the mountains where you'll condense and be a river again. You'll be rain. You'll be water and you'll be another mighty river in another place. If you'll just allow yourself to be transformed, you can become something new in a new place. But the river's always known itself to be this river. It always gets its way. It had always carved its, it had carved the earth from where it started to where it is now in the desert. It had carved its way. It had always been able to do what it wants to do. And nothing has ever stopped it except for this, this desert has just gotten in the way and it's sucking it dry and it's not able to be the mighty river that it wants to be. Eventually the river trusts the wind. It allows itself to be evaporated in the desert, to be moved by the wind to the mountains, to be condensed and to fall like rain and form a mighty river and realizes that it never stopped being water. It never stopped being the bearers of life. It never stopped being the mighty river. It just merely transformed so that it could become something new. Our reading from Isaiah is all about God longing for God's people to transform. The Israelites had been down on their luck. They have fought all sorts of enemies on all fronts to, uh, and had lost so much. But yet Isaiah comes and prophesies to them and says, Listen here, you Israelites. I am here. I am your God. Trust me. I will make things new. I will transform you. I will make you something new. But the key behind the prophecy of Isaiah is the Israelites have to let go. Even though they got themselves into that predicament, they'd put themselves in this position because they didn't really trust God or obey God and 
when you don't obey God in the Old Testament, well, God does exactly what God tells you he's going to do. He's like the parent who tells their child, if, like my brother with my nephew, or my niece, when she was about three, now she's five, when she was about two, three, I remember we were all at my parents' house, we were on a visit, and she was pitching a tantrum during dinner, to the point that my, my parents, her grandparents, were really uncomfortable and wanted to pick her up and coddle her. And my brother said, don't you move. He told all of us not to move. So we had this rather awkward dinner uh, with a screaming child on the floor, literally kicking and screaming. My brother looked over at her name's Catherine. He looked over at her and said, look, in a minute, we're going to finish our dinner. You can come finish your dinner with us or not. But I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to carry you upstairs. You're going to go to bed with no dinner. He said it very calm, cool, and collected. Sure enough, we finished dinner. She kept on screaming and kicking and punching the floor. My brother, I've never seen a grown man pick up. She's a very tall child. He picked her up like a football, <laughs> carried her upstairs, put her in the bed with no dinner because she didn't want to eat her dinner, and left her there. And she was fine in the morning. That is exactly how God is with God's people in the Old Testament. He tells them, I need you to obey me, I need you to trust me, but when you don't, then I'm going to follow through with what I told you I was going to do, which is I'm going to set you right again. I'm going to make you right again. And that's what got the Israelites into this predicament to which Isaiah is prophesying. But like any good child, the Israelites are so flustered uh, with their predicament, even though they got themselves into it, that they're, they're depressed and they want God to come near and they forget that God is already near and close and, and with them, that God is already there. God never left them. Yes, God might have been disappointed in them, but he never left them. He might have carried them up and put them in their bed with no dinner, but he never left them. They just don't like their circumstances, even though they got themselves into that circumstance. And the power in today's message in Isaiah is that God was always there. God has always been near. And at this particular moment in their life, they have to trust like the mighty river to let God transform them so that they can be made new, so that they can be a new kind of people in relationship to God, but also in relationship to one another. You see the same thing lived out. This whole prophecy coming true in Jesus in our gospel story today, when he hears this, heals the Syrophoenician's woman's daughter, and then he heals the deaf and the mute man, God came near to them. God transformed them. Not necessarily for their own sake, but for those who are, are around, for those who are able to witness the real power of God. Not the power of God that we like to control, I mean the awesome power of God that is way bigger, way, way bigger, that goes through boundaries. The Syrophoenician woman, in Jewish culture, she should have been ignored by Jesus. She's different. She's not clean. And Jesus heals her daughter. Heals her daughter. The deaf and the mute man, and the territory in which Jesus is traveling, should by all accounts be ignored, but yet Jesus heals him. God is bigger 
than our constructs. God longs for us to trust that awesome bigness that is God that wants to transform us, to make us new, to allow us to see the world with new eyes so that we look and we see hurting and pain and we don't just turn away from it, but we embrace it and say, God, give me the strength to be something in this moment. I am scared. I don't know if I know what I need to be, but give me the strength not to judge, not to condemn, but to be in relationship with and to heal. This is who God is trying to transform us to be. This is where God calls us to go. He doesn't call us to sit on the sidelines. He doesn't call us to stand idly by in a world that needs to feel the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. He calls us out. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't kick us out and say, hey, good luck. He's right there with us. I always remind people, it ain't our harvest. That's what we say in Georgia, ain't. Welcome to Georgia. It ain't our harvest. It's God's harvest. And we are just the laborers. God's going to labor away whether we do it or not. But he really longs to have laborers join the harvest. But in order for us to do that, we have to be transformed. And I know how hard it is to be transformed when you have to give up control. Being a new parent, I feel, is an exercise in giving up control. <laughs> Constantly. And I had Lennox here at 8.15, so I was able to point to him doing his own thing with Vanessa. It was great. It was a great a live illustration. It was interactive illustration for the 8.15ers. But he, uh, he tests us. And you know, like any good parent, we go through the ups and downs of being angry at the situation, then inadvertently angry at him for something he can't control. And then we get depressed because we're depressed about being angry at a child who really can't communicate, who just is counting on us for life. And then we're just in this vicious cycle. It's like Austin Powers. It's a vicious cycle. I'm angry because I can't sleep. I'm sad because I'm angry. And then I just want to go to bed, but now I'm too sad to go to bed. So it's just a vicious cycle. <laughs> it's just a vicious cycle. But part of what I'm learning, and I'm not perfect at it, and I know all, and every parent last at the 815 service said we've all been there. Part of what I'm learning is what, what's happening is we're having to let go. We're having to let go of, of the way we understood life, more or less the myth of our life what we thought was truly fulfilling. And in those moments, and I'm not perfect, so let me just be honest with you, don't imagine me doing this in the middle of the night perfectly, but what I try to do at night, and when he's screaming like he was at 11 o'clock, and there was something wrong, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and I wanted to plug him into like an outlet so I could get the download <laughs> on what was going on. But in those moments, instead of thinking, I want to go back to bed, I want to go do this. I want to go do that. I've had to stop and say, look at this beautiful life that's right in front of me. I'm not perfect at it. Trust me, last night, I put him back down in the crib and went and got Vanessa and said, you figure it out. <laughs> but I try. That's the hard part because it's control. I've known life a certain way for 33 years. And now... In six months, it's completely different. But that's not bad. Right? God moved in Vanessa and I's life, allowed this child to be born to us, entrusted us, I don't know why, God knows, to raise said child, 
so that our life can be different and transformed. And many of us, many people don't know, but we had another pregnancy that didn't make it. So this was a big deal to us. This was a big deal in control and being able to let go and let something new happen and realize how little we could control it. That is our faith life. We don't have much control over it, over what God's trying to do to us. Those urges that we get that may go against every belief we were raised with when we feel we want to be in relationship with someone or somebody or something that we can just imagine. I hear it all the time in the life of the church. Oh, my parents would roll in their grave if they knew I was doing this. But that's where God calls us. We, like the mighty river in the story, have to let ourselves be made new so that we can be life and light in another part of the world. Today we are going to baptize Maya and Isaac. And they, in a very real way, are going to remind us what it means to be transformed. They're already children of God. They're already beautiful and perfect and wonderful and beautifully made. We know they belong to God. We, we don't need baptism to remind us of that, but we do need baptism to remind us of where God calls us to go. And what's really special about them is they're adult children who are going to make, who've made this decision on their own. I think they had some encouragement from Mama, but they made this decision completely on their own. I looked at both of them and said, do you want to do this? And they said, yes. And what that will remind us of is the call to transform, the call to be open to something new. As we go through the waters of baptism with them today, as we hear the words of that baptismal covenant, we're going to be reminded that we too are called to let God do something new in our lives. Let God do something new in our church. Let go. Let go and let God in in a new way. The last example I want to leave you with that I think is important, and I was thinking about this today or this week because there was a big old conversation amongst clergy in the diocese about church growth and church life cycles. Churches are doing one of two things. They're either growing or they're dying. That's the church life cycle. And, and at any point, you're doing one or the other. And it doesn't mean if you're dying that you're bad. It's just how things evolve. When you're growing, you see churches that are open. They're scared to death about where God's calling them, but they're open to the transformation. They're open to what may be next. And when you see churches that are dying, when they enter that phase, they're in the phase where they're holding on so tight to what they think is right and what they think is God, and they're missing. They're missing the miracle right in front of them. Just like when I sit there and hold Linux and I worry about all the things I'm not getting, I'm missing this beautiful life right in front of me. We as a church have to also allow ourselves, through the waters of baptism today, through the, the next year, allow ourselves to be transformed, to continue to be transformed, to continue to allow God in, to do it together as a community of faith, to look for the ways in which we can be the hands and feet of Christ, to be a church that's always growing and never dying. But we have to let go. We have to let go we have to trust God. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that all we have to do is trust and be obedient.
trust and be obedient. Amen.